Kintsugi is the art of golden mending. So it's this Japanese art form or philosophy where you take a broken vase and you fix it, you, you put it back together with a gold inlay. So instead of um, looking at the cracks as a flaw, you look at them you know, as a beautiful part of their journey. And what was so impactful you know, for me uh, is that idea, that concept gave me a way to think about the changes and, you know, the accident, you know, I, I call it a magical accident, but certainly it changed me. You know, I, there are limitations. There was, you know, there was a lot of recovery and, you know, injuries and, and things that I had to go through. And this no help needed Nassim that used to exist didn't want to talk about all those vulnerabilities and flaws and, you know, broken parts of me. But Kintsugi gave me a way to talk about it without being a victim. And that's Nassim Rochette on this episode of Time to Sing Your Song. Picture this for a moment. It is a beautiful day. The sun is out. You had an incredible weekend with your family. and You're feeling grand. It's the beginning of a new week and you're meeting your husband for dinner when you see him across the street. You walk into the crosswalk when a car turning into your direction doesn't stop. In fact, the car runs you over not once, but three times. At that moment, your life flashes before you, and you're pretty sure you're going to die. This was the nightmare that Nassim experienced in 2018. Pre-accident, Nassim was living an incredible life. She was happily married, three incredible kids, and had a very successful career in tech. What's amazing about Nassim's story is how she picked up the pieces and built her life back. Check out our conversation where she talks about letting go of no help needed Nassim, using the Japanese philosophy of Kintsugi to embrace her cracks without being a victim. How the accident helped Nassim let people get closer by being more vulnerable. She also talks about the importance of celebrating micro wins. And finally, how the energy we give off profoundly impacts people that are around us. There are so many nuggets of wisdom in our conversation. I can't, really can't wait for you to listen to this interview. Also, please go pick up Nassim's book, The Unexpected Benefits of Being Run Over. As you go on Nassim's journey, I'd encourage you to think deeply about three questions. I know that I am. First, what would be your regrets if you were involved in a tragic accident tomorrow? And what can you do today to turn those regrets into peace of mind? Second, how can you open yourself up and create deeper connections by sharing your story? And finally, how are you celebrating the moments where you were able to put yourself back together after being broken? I'm hopeful that these stories of rock bottom and redemption are helping you through challenges in your life. Personally, they are making me so much more aware of the challenges in other people's lives, and they're helping me on my journey to be a better person. If you are enjoying these conversations, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give time to sing your song a five-star rating. Please also share your thoughts as well. It really does help in bringing awareness of these awesome stories. Please also share the podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. As I get deeper on this journey, it is becoming clearer by the day that Time to Sing Your Song is a platform for ordinary people to share their stories of how they overcame gnarly obstacles 
to live a life that they only dreamed about. And what's crazy is the variety of stories that are coming at me. If you have a story, or if you know somebody who does, reach out to me. Easiest way is to send me an email at mike at timetosingyoursong.com or you could send me a direct message on social media, Mike Kearney on LinkedIn and mkearney33 on Twitter. Okay, let's get to our conversation. Hey, Nassim, welcome to Time to Sing Your Song. Hey, Mike, thank you for having me. I am really excited about this. I can't wait to hear your story. And let's start there. Let's go back to 2018. You were in a crosswalk walking towards your husband. Tell us what happened. Uh, well, so it was a, a beautiful spring day and I was uh, coming back from work, you know, so decked out. I wear five inch heels. I'm tiny. and um, <laughs> That's a good visual. Let's start there. I Thank you. <laughs> So I'm in the middle of a crosswalk walking to my husband. I came home a little early. We were taking our, our brand new old pair to work, I mean, to dinner. We have three kids. And so I'm in the middle of the crosswalk when a car turns, a white SUV, the car and the car hits me. I'm in the middle of the crosswalk. I yell, hey, the car hits me, stops. I slam on the hood and then... <laughs> And then the car accelerates. So I, And when you say accelerates, like like hits hits the gas pretty hard? Yeah, hits the gas. I don't know how oh, hard yeah. it was, but it was hard enough that I flew on the hood and then flew mm. back on the road. The car, my husband says the car looked like a monster truck driving over me. Um, but then the car didn't, didn't stop there and just drive over me. The car reversed over me. And then the car went forward the third time. I know it's not funny and I'm laughing, but it's so ridiculous. I still laugh every time I say it. Do you think the person driving the car, obviously they knew they hit you initially, but then when they reversed and then moved forward, do you have any sense as to why they may have done that? Do you think they, it was fear or something else? So I, and the, the driver actually has never spoken to us or apologized or, you know, given us any indication of what she was thinking or how she feels. But my belief is that she initially was trying to flee the scene um, because she didn't have, she only had forced insurance. She was a bad driver, didn't really have insurance. I think that, that she reversed over me because she heard people, witnesses screaming and the road was a hill. So I think she was trying to get back down to where she initially hit me. Mm. And the third time, I think she was just trying to get off me. Oh my God. This is a, a story. This is your story, but your husband watched all of this. What did he have to say? Oh, Not necessarily the details, yeah, but like, yeah. God, I cannot imagine, you know, going to meet my wife, her walking across the street and then witnessing all of this. I know. Well, you know, it's, it's so uh, crazy too. So when I first saw my husband, so he was, and everything about the day was a non-standard. Normally I drive myself to the train station, but the day before I had had a flat. And so he offered to get the flat fixed. So he was picking me up because it was a beautiful day. I said, let me walk a little bit. And I saw him across the street and I could have easily just, you know, Jay walked over to him, but you know, I like to you know, I didn't want to be rude and there were crosswalks there. So I went to two crosswalks instead to get to him. So I crossed the first <laughs> crosswalk. I'm crossing the second crosswalk and and he was on his, you know, he was waiting for me. He was looking on his phone. 
And then he heard me yell when I saw the car. He looked up and, you know, I could hear in his screams what he was watching. And, Mm. you know, I, I mean, I felt like I was listening to my husband watch his wife die. Wow. And, you know, know, it's in, you know, it was agonizing, but his voice in many ways also kept me, kept me going too. I will say just to bring a little levity to this conversation, this is definitely an argument to jaywalk in the future, (laughs) (laughs) but, but in all sincerity, tell us what uh, injuries you sustained. So, um, so I was pinned underneath the car, you know, when the car finally stopped and I, um, you know, they, they had to, I had to wait for them to put airbags to lift the car up and longboard me off. So, you know, I was laying there and I was just watching this pool of blood around me and I couldn't feel my face. I couldn't move my body. I could wiggle my fingers and toes. And also I should mention that the car ran over me three times, but the tires went over me five times. So, you know, the tires went over my chest. They went over my legs. They went over my head and neck. I actually have a picture where you can see the tire marks on my neck. And I had like a soft spot on the back of my head. So, you know, I was pretty, you know, my, I was pretty badly injured. I couldn't, I couldn't move, you know, underneath the car. And, you know, it's, um, so my husband didn't know if I was alive or dead. Um, but, you know, after a few minutes when I could, could move my fingers or maybe probably seconds, I, uh, some semblance of life came back to me because then I said to my husband, I'm like, honey, do you have my purse? (laughs) Do you have my iPhone? (laughs) But you must've been thinking, given the fact that you're under the car that this is pretty serious, right? Oh yeah. So I, um, actually, do you want me to take you through kind of the, you know, my thoughts underneath the car? Uh, That's exactly where I wanted to go. Yeah. So when the car first hit me, um, Mike, I was actually having such a good day that I joke when the car first hit me, I was like, oh my God, do you know who I am? You're, you're hitting me today (laughs) when I'm having (laughs) this fabulous day. You know, I had a great work meeting, you know, lovely weekends with the kids. And, um, you know, I actually say in my book that I jinxed myself because the day before I said to my son, I'm so happy, you know, because life was just feeling good. Right. So when the car first hit me, you know, I'm like, oh my God, she hit me, but I was standing. So I wasn't too worried. I was like, I'm going to be bruised, you know? And then I thought, well, good cocktail party story, you know? And I, cause I thought that was the end of it. And everything is in slow motion. So, you know, it was probably a few seconds, but I I mean, I had like 20 minutes of conversation with myself. So the car hit, you know, the, the, you know, so when the car accelerated and I was underneath the car, at first I was trying to move around, get out from underneath the car. And I, you know, I could hear the screams of the witnesses, but you know, then when the the tires went over me a few times, I actually thought to myself, there's something wrong. You know, this should be over by now. I knew it was just going on too long. And I was about 100% sure that I was going to die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all those, you know, what you hear in the movies about the, the flashbacks of your life, you know, I, I started thinking, you know, I don't want to leave my kids. You know, I don't, I have three kids. We're very close. I and I, it's like, don't want them to be without a mother. And, you know, and then I thought, 
do they know who I am? Do they know what I would have said in the special moments? And I always used to think when I get on planes or travel, I should write my kids letters, you know, just in case, but I never wrote any letters. And so I thought, you know, oh, I wish I had written letters. But then I, I came to the conclusion, Mike, that, you know, I've had so much fun with my kids. Like we've been spontaneous. We've gone on great vacations. We laugh. And I thought, yep, you know what? They know who I am. And that was a really nice feeling to, to, I, so I felt a little bit of peace, but then I thought, you know, my kids know who I am, but all these other people in my life that were important to me, they probably don't know how much I've loved them. Mm. And, and that's where I felt a little regret, you know, that, that not everybody knew, you know, how important they'd been to me. And, um, you know, and then I just, you know, I had reflected a little bit on my life, but, you know, actually happy to say I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> well, that's a great place to be, right? I mean, here you are, but, but something gave you the strength to pull through. What do you think that was? So I, I started seeing a trauma therapist after the accident and my trauma therapist, oh, um, I should, I should mention that you asked about injuries earlier and I didn't mm. actually answer your question. So once they got me to the hospital and they started running test after test, as you can imagine, and I was, you know, I was conscious. So I would say I was run over three times. The tires went over me five times and Mike, I didn't break a single bone. That is crazy. I know there was no skull Even fracture, no internal bleeding. I didn't break a single bone, lots of issues, but no broken bones. I was going to say, what's your, <laughs> what's your trick? You must have uh, very healthy bones. Yes. Drinking a lot of milk. <laughs> no, actually, you're right. I, I say Starbucks saved my life. Starbucks. I drink a large chai latte or, you know, venti coffee latte, a cafe latte every day, just about. So, so I think it was, you know, 16, 20, or, you know, 16, 17 years of, of lattes that, that saved me. My therapist thinks it's a combination, though, of you know, maybe the lattes. I had become vegetarian a few years earlier. Mm. I worked out almost daily and I was having such a good day that she thinks probably the combination of things, you know, helped me get through it. Wow. I still just can't even, I still can't even imagine going through that or seeing my wife go through that. And which is interesting. The reason why we're having this conversation is I saw a post on LinkedIn. See, LinkedIn sometimes can connect people in the right way. And what stood out other than your crazy, incredible story is that you used a combination of words where I was like, that does not add up. And you had said that it was a magical experience getting run over. And I was like, wait a minute, that does not sound very magical to me. So why did you say it was magical? Well, um, you know, the, the title of my book is The Unexpected Benefits of Being Run Over because I, I found a lot of, um, you know, I, I, I found a lot of good coming out of it. I guess that's the only way to say it. And I think that, um, you know, I mentioned I liked my life prior to the accident, but the ways in which I had to learn to accept help and I, um, you know, became more vulnerable and let people get closer to me. And the things I, I just learned through that moment and through that, you know, first year of recovery, I think, 
I feel very lucky to have had the opportunity to learn those things with hopefully still, you know, 20, 30 years of runway ahead of me. Does this connect back to your no help Nassim (laughs) motto? And then I actually think I read somewhere that you said somebody called you an unsympathetic character. It sounds like a lot of that may have changed in the aftermath. Yes, actually, it it really did. So yes, you know, I I say I was no help needed, Nassim, because (laughs) I liked to to do everything myself. You know, did you actually use those words? Like, would you be like, "This is my mantra: no help, Nassim"? Like, did you ever say that to people, or did you say in your mind? I've coined it post accident. I just lived that (laughs) because, candidly, I didn't realize how how in control I needed to be. It was just my MO. I hadn't thought about it. That is crazy. Was there somebody, you said that you were very open now to help. And I'm sure there was probably a lot of folks, you know, whether it's your family, your husband, your extended family, maybe close friends, but was there somebody throughout your journey that you didn't expect that actually was there for you in a way that you really needed? I, I can't I can't single out one person. I, I think what Interesting. There's so, so um, there are a couple of interesting things that happened. Um, uh, you know, the first is I, you know, because I was a little bit incapacitated. Uh, you know, my husband stepped up and did so much. You know, even even my kids did. And I think before, you know, I would do everything so nobody else had a chance to step up and do anything. And when they had the opportunity, I saw how much they really could do and that I was the one that was limiting everybody. You know, I'd say, you you know, I'm sure a typical fight, like, I'm doing everything. Right. <laughs> but I wasn't giving my husband a chance to do anything because I was doing it. And I didn't it's really funny. realize that. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I just read this article, it was probably a couple months ago, and I don't remember where I saw it, but... There was this lady who raised like these unbelievably self-sufficient kids. And this was a big learning for me. She said, you know, when they were five, if they could do something, I made them do it. And I was like, that is brilliant because I can tell you how many times in my life where I would just jump in because of course it's easier for me to do. And just that idea of giving people that space to do it on their own um, is a wonderful learning that you had, but something that I've quite frankly, struggled with in my life that I'm actually working on literally today with my two boys, with my wife's away. So. Yeah. I, you know, I think that was, that was definitely a good learning for me. And I think it, it, you know, it helped my marriage. Um, the other thing that was really, you know, and, and this goes back to my accepting help and changing and being more vulnerable. Uh, another big lesson for me was this philosophy of Kintsugi. Mm, I was going to ask you about that. Yes. Talk about it. So kintsugi is the art of golden mending. So it's this Japanese art form or philosophy where you take a broken vase and you fix it, you you put it back together with a gold inlay. So instead of um, looking at the cracks as a flaw, you look at them, you know, as a beautiful part of their journey. And what was so impactful, you know, for me. Uh, is that idea, that concept gave me a way to think about the changes and, you know, the accident, you know, I I call it a magical accident, but certainly it changed me. You know, there are limitations. There was, you know, there was a lot of recovery and, you know, injuries and, and things that I had to go through. 
And this no help needed Nassim that used to exist didn't want to talk about all those vulnerabilities and flaws mm. and, you know, broken parts of me. But Kintsugi gave me a way to talk about it without being a victim, you know, without having to feel sorry for myself. This was now part of my journey. I, I love that. And I think I had read this somewhere else. Uh, maybe it was one of your posts, but that you now recognize that we all are kind of dealing with some, some shit in our lives. It sounds like this would be valuable even beyond your accident. I mean, obviously you had this traumatic experience, but if you didn't have this traumatic experience and you came across this, this mindset, how could you have applied it in your life? Or what, what maybe is an easier way to say it is, or better question is, what would you tell others who are struggling or have had some trauma in their lives, how they could leverage this approach? Well, I, I think, um, so I'm actually just going to um, introduce the holiday we created for the accident called Unbreakable Day. So Love every that. year we celebrate the day of the accident as Unbreakable Day and celebrate that I lived. And I think what we celebrate in that holiday is is very much kind of the lesson of Kintsugi, that we have all gone through things. But I think so many of us don't appreciate how hard it was to work through that moment or survive that incident or, you know, come out of some trauma or tough, complex moment. You know, we just sort of take it like, yeah, you know, that, that stunk and, you know, I don't really want to talk about it, but, and, and whether you want to talk about it or not, I think we should give ourselves credit for how we've, we've, dealt with things and the people that have helped us deal with those things and that have made us stronger. And I think when we look at those tough moments as part of our journey that we don't need to be ashamed of, but where we can give ourselves a little credit for surviving, we can reframe a lot of, a lot of things that may have been uncomfortable or complex or, or just hard. I'm actually thinking right now, this is why I love this podcast. I always take away something but you're almost honoring something that was really challenging in your life and you're using it as a way to understand how you've positively moved your life forward and you're celebrating it with others. And so this whole notion of finding a day, because once again, every person has dealt with something in their life yeah. and they oftentimes just push it to the side. But I love this notion of, of celebrating it, not just yourself, but with your family. Exactly. With, with anyone that's, that's helped you get through it. So, you know, we now have a party. My unbreakable day is May 21st and we have a party around that day at, and say thank you. And, and what we also say is, you know, unbreakable day is a holiday to, you know, to celebrate what you've been through and to thank all the people that have helped you get there. Cause we all have it at, at some point, you know, if you're old enough to listen to this podcast or read my book or, you know, you're, you're at least um, old enough to have gone through something in your life. That I always joke that people either have gone through something or they're not telling you they've gone through something because <laughs> yes, everybody's got something. Was there though a moment during this process where you lost hope? Oh yeah. Mike, I'm not going to say this was an easy journey at all. I mean, there were many, many moments of me in bed crying, especially in that first month or two where I couldn't 
I couldn't open my eyes. You know, I couldn't walk. I couldn't really shower. You know, I actually made, um, once I was, you know, uh, had enough um, brain power to actually see my computer, I created a chart to celebrate all of these little things that I was able to do, like, you know, shower on my own, um, you know, shave my legs, walk up the stairs, because if I wasn't celebrating those little milestones, you know, I think I would have just, you know, stayed in bed crying, thinking, when am I life going to be back to what it used to be? But I had to realize that life is never going to be back to what it used to be. And that's okay. You know, I had to tell myself, I want this to be a happy story and work towards that. You know, there's no, there's, there's not an easy button, but believing that you want it to be a happy story, you know, allows you to start looking at things differently, Mm. believing that the cracks are not flaws, but they can be beautiful, allows you to tell a happier story. Did you come up with this celebration of small wins on your own or did it happen organically? I think it happened organically. And then, you know, at, at a certain point I, I realized, you know, I, because we were celebrating them, I wasn't noticing that we were celebrating them, but I'd be like, oh my God, guys, I can walk up the stairs today. <laughs> and, um, you know, we have a, a family that likes to celebrate, you know, any, any excuse for, for a party and ice cream. Right. <laughs> so I, I think we were naturally doing that. And I've since learned how important that is, especially when you're solving any kind of complex problem or going on a long journey. If you're not celebrating the small wins, you know, waiting for that big win, it, you know, you may never get there because you're not going to see the progress that fuels the, the strength to keep going. Yeah. I love this. It's almost like the psychology of small wins, but you know, I've just, I'm just thinking about some of the challenges that I've had in my life. I've never thought about it in that context, but what I find is if there is like these mini little breakthroughs, it will motivate me to do the next thing. And my guess is, you know, as you were, you know, able to jump in the shower, do some of the things that you talked about, it did give you that motivation that like life is going to get better. Maybe not in the same way it was before, but it's going to get better. You were spot on. It absolutely did. And and then being able to talk about those parts of my journey really helped. And then actually there's there's one other thing I should share with you because this was also instrumental in me um, realizing that I, I, you know, how important it was to accept help. So just after the accident, my brother, uh, my brother and I are very close. My brother's dog died about a, about a week after the accident. And my brother lived in California. I live in New Jersey. And I was calling him all the time, like, oh, my God, what can I do? And he had flown out to see me. So he knew that, you know, I was immobile, unrecognizable, could barely open my eyes. And he kept saying, he's like, just worry about yourself. Don't, you know, don't worry about me. I don't need anything. And, you know, I can't say the light bulb went off immediately. But I I was just like, of course he needs something. My brother's hurting. How can I help? And and then, you know, finally I, came, I I realized, oh my gosh, just like I need to help my brother, people need to help me, you know, because the accident didn't just happen to me. It happened to my whole family. It happened to my friends, to the people that counted on me. And they needed some active engagement in the healing process. 
And, you know, I, I think it actually takes a lot of strength to accept help and to allow people to help you. Was there a moment, so you had talked about the fact that there were some really challenging times, but was there a moment where you're like, oh my God, I can make this a magical journey. I can have a good life. I can turn this around. Um, yeah, you know, Mike, I'm not, I can't, I can't think of a, a, a specific moment. I think, I think I was fortunate in the, so I've been in sales for, you know, 20, 25 years at that point. And, you know, in sales, you're always, you know, you deal with a lot of rejection. So right. <laughs> there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of rah, rah, listen to the story about this person that came through this, you know, horrible accident. And so I had always said to myself, if something really crazy like that happens to me, I hope I come out, you know, better, stronger somehow. And then in the hospital, every time a test would come back and I, you know, I didn't have something broken, you know, the staff was like, oh my God, you know, that's like, you were survived for a reason. You need to go pay it forward. And of course I was like, pay it forward. Like I can't open my eyes right now, but, um, you know, so I think those two things, you know, so had this created some underlying, I don't know if it's like foundation is the right word, but some, you know, underlying presence of needing to be better in some way. And so I think, you know, after those, you know, finding the wins, finding the progress, you know, and realizing I wanted it to be better, you know, I realized that I, I, I control the story. You know, I, I determine what this story is. You know, I can decide that my cracks are beautiful. There's, there's no one else but, but me and how I think about it. It's weird because I think one of the things I hear you kind of saying as well, which I've never thought about it you know, before something like this happening, you almost kind of projected out into the future that there's always a possibility that something really bad could happen. And it almost feels like you cultivated the mindset even before the accident. So that when it happened, you'd already thought about it. Do you think, do you think there's any validity to that? Oh my God, Mike, there's so much validity to that. In fact, that's, you know, one of the reasons that I wrote, I wrote the book is I feel fortunate that I had seen so many examples of mm. people coming, you know, getting through, you know, un unbreakable moments, really, really tough, terrible things. So I, I knew that, that, that it was possible. And, um, you know, and so I wanted to share my story in case, you know, it helps someone else, you know, inspires them when they have a tough moment. Because I think that if you go into a really tough moment without that belief, it's a lot harder to come out with it, come out stronger on the other side. So the whole reason I started this podcast, because what I gravitate to more than anything is people's stories and, and how it inspires. And once again, cause we've kind of joked about this, you know, everybody's dealing with something. And I think people need oftentimes a roadmap of how you actually get through these things. And I think that's, you know, when you follow that roadmap and you get to the other side, invariably, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but invariably most of the people, quite frankly, I've interviewed, and there's been some horrific stories. They, they oftentimes say, you know, it was a gift. 
that I was able to go through this because my life now is better. Like I was kind of sleepwalking through life and then this bad thing happened and it just reoriented in a positive way all the things that really matter. Absolutely. I mean, you, that's why it's my magical accident. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about what you did to overcome. And I want to I connect this to a concept that you brought up earlier, which I'm a big fan of, and that is you had talked about, I cannot have a victim mindset. And I think you've already talked about some of the things that you've done to escape that, but what are, what are some of the actions that you took after the accident to get you to where you are now? Well, I think the first was just, uh, you know, the, the Kintsugi. I mean, I, I can't say, you know, I can't stress enough how integral that was for giving me the tools to talk about the issues in, um, in this, uh, you know, I guess, positive way or, you know, and I think once I started talking about my issues, other people started sharing theirs. And so it builds this community and strength, I think, yep. in that we, you know, and the shared experience, you know, may, may not be the exact same. Most people haven't been run over three times, but, you know, as we, we talked about, people have gone through something. So I think having, you know, that community or that, you know, those closer relationships really fueled some of that momentum to, to getting better. Does I that make can't sense? underscore. Oh my God, you're, you're connecting on something that I fell into in the last several years. And my story is not, or the story and the reason why I found this community is not my story. It was a family member. So I'm not going to share it right now. I will at some point in time when they're ready. But what I did is I went out and found people by sharing my story. And it is the number one thing that got me through those difficult times. And it's, it's friendships that were strong, I guess, before. Some were like new acquaintances that I just was open and vulnerable and I shared what I was going through. But now it's some of my best friends that I have in this world because we were able to kind of share our mutual stories and we're always there for each other. Um, now for the stuff we talked about, but even other things that are going on in our lives. Yeah. And, you know, so so in the uh, towards the end of my book, I, I recap the 10 things that I never want to forget, sort of my the 10 most important things that I learned. You know, one of them is actually um, is 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 that we don't always know what what people are thinking because I there were some people I expected to show up for me after the accident that didn't. And I realized, or I believe, that sometimes you know, we, you know, that we all have this need for self-preservation, and sometimes other people's struggles trigger something in ourselves, or right. trigger something in someone else. Like you know, the the driver I mentioned, the driver never said sorry. You know, I, I think that she, and you know, when we saw her at the deposition, she tried to pretend the accident didn't really happen and it wasn't so bad and I wasn't in the crosswalk. And, and I think that's her self-preservation. And, you know, what I've realized is, you know, maybe I lost some people during those months after the accident because what I was going through triggered something in them or was, was just, you know, too much. 
And so just as a, you know, the accident brought me closer to, to many, many people, it also helped me realize for the people that may have, you know, not been in my life anymore, that, you know, sometimes we just need to accept that everybody's got a lot more going on than, you know, than their relationship with me. And, you know, we may not know why they've left our lives, but that doesn't mean we can't appreciate the time that we spent with them. Like, you know, before I think a loss would have tarnished all the memories. Right. But now I realize, you know what? We don't know. Like no one looks at me and knows what, that I was run over (laughs) three times. Um, So we don't know everything that goes on with people. And sometimes we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll lose them or, or, or let them go. And, you know, that, that doesn't need to tarnish all of the good memories we had with them. They can still be a special part of our lives. Nassim, you have a whole lot of grace. I mean, the fact that you were at your most desperate period in your life and you're essentially showing empathy for people who you thought would be there and are not there. And I think this idea of, you know, maybe it did trigger something for them or maybe they're not ready to provide that type of support that you need. But the fact that you're able to have that that grace and empathy for them is amazing. So oh, I love well, that. Thank you. That's very sweet. Maybe that's my self-preservation though, Mike. <laughs> because well, I, I, no, no, no. But I'm trying to think of myself. I'm like, I probably would be super judgmental. I hate to be honest about that, but I'd probably be like, oh my God, look at everything I had done for them. I was there for them. And now in my moment of need, they're not. And what you're doing is you're flipping it and you're saying, there's probably a really good reason that they're operating this way. Yes. And let's be honest. I didn't have that realization in the first month or two. (laughs) That was part of the journey. In the first month or two, I reacted like you, like, oh my gosh, where are they? (laughs) What about this Kintsugi? Where where can people learn more about it? It, Other than just Googling it, did you read any books or was there somebody that shared some articles or is it just really the concept resonated with you and you you latched onto it right away? My trauma therapist had brought it up to me. And, and, you know, maybe I was looking for a way to, mm. you know, to not be the victim, but to, to start to share and to open up. People have brought me <laughs> and I've started to fix things with gold glue and, you know, gold powder. I actually even wore gold glitter on my scars after the accident because, you know, you were going to wow. notice the scar across my face, but, um, right. you know, so let's, let's make it something I'm celebrating, not hiding. And so you actually now create crafts. Like, so you're doing Kasugi for real now beyond using this as a way to inspire your, your changes. Well, when something breaks, I don't break it on purpose. But, oh, I know. But, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my house, you'd probably be very busy. <laughs> <laughs> But what's funny is the things that I have glued back together with the gold, I I actually love them more. Mm. That's interesting. What about you had shared that you had to rewire your operating system, which is obviously your cognitive capabilities. You are a very accomplished person. Um, I'm not even sure if you could mention the companies you've worked for, which aren't even really important, but you've worked for some of the biggest tech brands in the world. So unbelievably accomplished. Can you talk about what you did to rewire your brain and and maybe some of the challenges that you've had? Absolutely. And, you know, I'll say, um, you know, my, my brain was rewired because of the accident, you know, and I, 
I first noticed right after the accident, uh, you know, Mike, you said, you know, I've, I've worked for some amazing companies, you know, Microsoft, I work for Google now. I, I could not fill out a camp form for my son mm. after the accident. That's how impaired my thinking and my nervous system was. Like I laid in bed and cried when I had to, when I was handed a camp form. I'm like, how am I going to do this? When you say you couldn't fill it out, could you not read the words on paper? Could you not translate what you were reading to your hand? What was it that you weren't able to do? Uh, so I could read the words on paper and I, I could have written the responses, but thinking about it, somebody asking mm. me to think about something and do something was out of reach. Wow. And your whole life has been excellent. That must have been, in some respects, even more difficult. You didn't break any bones, but you know some of the physical uh, representations of the accident. That was very difficult. I went, you know, I used to be a multitasking master. You know, I had, you know, three. I have three kids now. I have six animals as well. Um, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I and a husband um, and a, and a house. And you know, I was an active in the school. I got a second master's degree. You know, when I was pregnant with my first child. You know, finished at working full time. So I was used to doing many, many, many things. And I thrived on that. You know, the busier I was, the more I got done. And after the accident, you know, I realized I, I can't be, that's not how I work anymore. I now need to focus on a few things. And I try to reframe that as, you know, not as a bad thing, but now I just, I just get deeper into a few subjects. And, you know, find the, the joy in, in that, you know, and, and maybe it allows me to be more present, you know, but that was one very, very big change. You know, the, the other is, you know, sometimes just the way I, we would, we would run our household. So we always had music playing in most rooms, dancing around the house, you know, lots of, lots of energy. I cannot have music playing from more than one speaker now. Wow. You know, so it like, you know, sometimes if someone accidentally just puts it on in multiple rooms, that triggers me. I'm uh, curious about this notion of now you have to focus. And this, I don't know if this is a benefit of you going through this, but I think in many regards, we are all running around so fast and we are kind of micro switching or, or we are multitasking, whatever you want to call it. And I oftentimes, I'll just speak about myself, I'd, I'd find that I was not as effective as I could be. Do you find now that you could go deep that in some respects you're making a bigger impact in those areas? Uh, you know, I, I think I might be <laughs> because making a bigger impact, you know, work has been going well even. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think there is definitely something, um, you know, that has improved in my skill set. Um, you know, focusing a little bit more and not juggling as much, you know, I think what's, what's hard is that, you know, as you do a few things, you know, very well. Sometimes more people want you to do them. <laughs> yeah, yes. And, and it's very familiar yeah. with that. Yes. And so it's, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm still navigating, you know, how, how I handle that. Um, but, you know, I, it hasn't been, 
you know, it, it, it's it's a change. And at Google, we have this concept called user guides, where you can outline how you want people to work with you, or maybe some you know um, intricacies of your um, you know of your manner, or work style, or communication style. It was it was started in our autistic community. And as I was doing my user guide, I realized, you know, there was a before and after me. So like, you know, that that juggling of tasks, you know, that that was a before, you know, the new me is a little more focused. You know, the before me was, you know, out late networking until, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you know, loving Las Vegas. You know, the new me is not going to that sales conference, but, you know needs more lunches or quiet dinners and, you know, more intimate conversations. And, you know, I, I try to look at that without judgment. Mm. Mm. I, I'm super curious about these user guides. Once again, this is not about Google. <laughs> this is your story, but, but that is really interesting. Cause I think we oftentimes presume we know how somebody wants to work which is the dumbest thing ever because we all know that like everybody has different mannerisms, styles, times they like to work, how they like to work. Um, but we oftentimes, A, don't ask it and we certainly don't write it down. And so when Google does this, do they share it? Like, is there like oh, yes. a place that you could go and like read about how Nassim likes to work? Uh, within Google, yes. That you is, know, you can, I love you know, that. Some people put it on their signature, signature some just have it on you know their, their profile. You know, mine is just on my profile, but, you know, another thing that is, um, you know, luckily people text now, but I can't listen to voicemails anymore. I have a very hard time with voicemails and having to call someone back, you know, after it's, I know it sounds strange, but after the accident, you know, I, I didn't listen to voicemails for months because the whole idea, just like I couldn't fill out a form, somebody leaving me a message and asking me questions was too much for me. And that has stuck where, you know, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a trigger, but it's, you know, it, it causes a little bit of anxiety when people leave voicemails. So another thing that I read, which I want to get into a little, cause I understand what you're saying. I understand the words, but I'm really curious to understand the intent behind it. And you said that personal energy is tied to the momentum of life. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, actually, that's so. One of the um, other learnings from from the journey is how much our own energy, you know, drives the the energy and the momentum of of the people around us. So, for instance, you know, those once I decided that the accident was a happy story, and I shared my cracks and I started accepting help, you know, it it you know, it was, that's, it was a positive, um, you know, it was a positive action and the people around me were a little bit happier mm. and, you know, they could, you know, as we talked about, share a little bit more, but I think just being a little bit happier or, you know, um, a little bit more optimistic because of my optimism, you know, I call that, you know, the energy, my positive energy, you know, that carries forward. And I think, you know, you, we talked a little bit about my journey and, you know, solving complex problems. I think like the milestones, celebrating those milestones and then, you know, my kids and my friends celebrating those milestones with me is positive energy. 
you know, it's like, yes, we're, we're doing this. It's, it's moving forward. And, and that excitement, it's like a snowball. It, it just builds. And I think it helps carry you forward. And so, it sounds like you were new to this. This is not the old Nassim. Like it didn't sound like you were open and vulnerable before, but now you are as a result of the accident. Is that true? That is very true. I, I was positive before, but I didn't, I don't think I recognized the importance and the impact because I had never been so negative or down or, you know, so beaten that I had to see mm. um, how much my energy affects the world around me. If you're sharing your story and you're seeing the energy be more positive with the people that you're working with, what impact does that have on you? I think it gives me you know, it's, it's joy. It's confidence. It feels like I'm paying it forward in some way. And, and, you know, I, I think it's, I'll just say it's joy. You know, when, when I see somebody smile or you hear them smile on the phone, you know, I'm smiling too. It is amazing the impact of how you treat people and the energy that you bring to any and all conversations. And it's, it's actually one of the things that I think holds back a lot of people in life, especially within business. Like, well, I've worked with some incredible people from a technical perspective, but because they weren't able to bring a positive vibe, people just didn't want to work with them, which is mind blowing, but true. Yeah. And I think as leaders, especially in business, and I sometimes talk about this, um, is, you know, we, we really have to drive that positive energy. If we're running a meeting, you know, we can certainly talk about hard things. You know, like I, I say life isn't all about, you know, just high fives and wins. There are problems. There are complex issues that we need to solve as leaders or managers or colleagues. But the way we talk about those things, the tone in our voice, our body language, you know, how we you know, how we present and interact can still be positive, even when you're talking about that tough stuff. And, you know, I think when you're positive, you know, as we said, people, people react to that, you know, because if you're going into a meeting and you're saying, my job stinks, we're never going to make this happen. That negative bias story is what permeates. So you need to actively create positive bias stories that people can grab onto and then build upon. You had mentioned the, I forget exactly how you characterized it, but the 10 attributes of kind of your journey back that's in your book. I'm going to ask everybody to go out and buy the book, which we'll talk a little bit more in a second. (laughs) So you're not going to tell all of them, but, but is there any others that you want to just highlight because you feel they're so important? Yes. There's one other that I will highlight. And, um, so, so when I, when I had the accident, everybody, you know, was so concerned and I mean, there was so much love, but people would ask me, how are you? And that simple question would, would put me in a tailspin because I didn't want to be a downer and say, well, like I can't move. I can't open my eyes. You know, I'm kind of in chronic pain, like this sucks. But I also didn't want to say oh, I'm fine, and then be lying to them and not being open with them. So every time someone asked me that question, I would have this 
internal debate of how do I answer with this person? What do I say? How much do I share? And so I think, you know, what I say to people, um, you know, when you're dealing with someone in trauma or in a tough situation, instead of saying, how are you? Just say, I'm thinking about you. If there's anything you need, let me know. Because questions are so hard when you're when your nervous system is already overloaded by a trauma or, you know, some complex situation. That is such simple advice. Cause I will tell you, I've been in that position a lot of times. First of all, you're asking because you care, but you don't know what to say. And so just this whole notion of like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of you. I've been thinking about you. I pray for you. Yes. So April 4th is a big day for you. <laughs> your book is going to be coming out. Unexpected benefits of being run over. The whole conversation's essentially been about the book, but what compelled you to write it? And there's anything else you think people should know about the book? Well, um, so the book is a memoir that centers around my accident, but, you know, talks about, you know, flashes back to me becoming that person that was like, oh my God, they're hitting me, you know, feeling fabulous and my five inch heels and kind of, you know, <laughs> the no help Nassim needed, the no help Nassim, um, you know, becoming that person uh, was a really intense journey for me as well, because mm. I was a very, very shy, insecure young girl, you know, hated being different. You know, I was the only Indian in the community I lived in. And really had to work hard to become a person that I liked. And, you know, I was a person I liked when the accident happened. And then all of a sudden, the next day, that person that I liked was kind of nowhere to be found. And so the accident is about, you know, me becoming, you know, the person I was that morning. And then obviously, you know, who I became and what I've learned since. Nassim, I think you're going to help so many people through this though, just telling your story and just the mindset that you have in coming back from something like this. You talk about the fact that you really liked yourself when the accident or before the accident happened. Do you like yourself more now? I, um, you know, I still like my, I still like myself, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I say in the book, you know, and I don't mean to be boastful when I say that, when I say yeah. I like myself, but, you know, I, I, I talk about in the book in high school, one of my girlfriends said, and this is back when I was very insecure. She's like, if we go to college and we don't like ourselves, why would anyone else like us? So true. So, so that's how, you know, that's, that's what I believe. If I don't like myself, why should anyone else like me? Um, so I, I, I do still like myself, but I, I think that, um, and I don't know if it's more, but I think I help people more. I think I'm no longer an unsympathetic character. I think yeah. I connect with people more. So I think I do more good. Um, and that I like. I love that. So I'm curious because you obviously had this accident with, which compelled you to be more sympathetic. If we were talking to you, so this happened in 2018, so six years ago, let's say, what would have resonated with you to become more sympathetic or to become more like who you are today without the accident? Well, I think the uh, idea of um, celebrating our journey and sharing our journey mm. because I didn't share. So, you know, I'll, share something extremely personal. Um, 
when I was 16, I tried to kill myself. And I had never shared that with anybody. You know, uh, I don't even know if my husband, you know, knew that happened. I, I've shared it now in the book, um, but I never, I never shared that with anybody. And, uh, you know, when I was 16, I didn't know you write your own story. You know, I didn't know how I could shape my life. And I talk about it now because I think people need to be reminded that you can, you can create your own story. So even if you don't have an accident, you know, or even six years ago, you know, I would remind myself that, you know, by sharing what I've gone through and, you know, that I was this person I didn't like at 16 and I became this person I like because we can craft and, you know, we narrate our own story. And I don't think most 16 year olds or or many, you know, there, I think there are many points in your life. You don't feel like you've got that control. Right. I really appreciate you sharing that on many levels. One, just given the fact that you have come so far, but you're also reinforcing the idea that we've been talking about that everybody's dealing with something. So while you had this tragic accident, you know, many, many years later, you went through something crazy when you were young. And quite frankly, I mean, if you're just to step back and just look at what's going on with our kids, I mean, suicide rates are up, addiction is up, all of these things that kids are struggling with. And so the fact that you shared that, I, I really appreciate that. And, and Mike, you, you brought up, um, you know, something that is is so important, which is, you know, so many people, so many young people are struggling and they just don't have the life experience to know that we can <sighs> shape our own story. And so it is so important for, you know, for, for all of us, uh, you know, adults or, you know, people with a little runway that we share our cracks and our vulnerabilities and that we've gotten through them. Yeah. I mean, cause it's funny. Like you think about when you're in high school, that was like everything in your life. And that's exactly what kids think about nowadays. It's like, you know, there's no life after high school. This is going to define me these four years when in fact, actually there's a lot. And, and I don't know, I've never thought about this, but being somewhat open, I've shared pretty much everything with my kids and hopefully that has resonated with them because my life now is, you know, 180 degrees different than when I grew up in a crazy dysfunctional family because I was able to create my own story. That's amazing. And so. I'm sure whether you, you know, whether you are articulated in, you know, clear words, your kids probably know it through the actions and lives that you lead. I, uh, I hope so. I found that, um, so, you know, I, I said I wished I'd written more letters. So I, I did write a letter to my kids after mm. the act about, you know, a few months later. And I don't think anybody's read it because they're like, they kind of just know it all. They knew that already. <laughs> they knew I loved it. Oh, so them. you actually gave it to them? Yes, I gave it. I was like, you know, I, I, kids, I wrote you this letter in case anything ever happens. And it kind of just went in a kitchen drawer and, you know, because it just didn't mean anything to them because they already knew it all. They knew oh, exactly good. how I felt about them. Well, that's a testament to how good of a mom you are. So let's talk about the future. What are your plans for the future? Oh, boy. Is this a job interview? <laughs> no. No, you've obviously got a great job, but but you just poured your heart and soul into uh, a book, yeah. which obviously complements, but is in addition to your work life. So what's your thinking? 
So, um, look, so, you know, the, the book is out there when I, when I started writing it, uh, you know, my hope was, you know, if I can help five people, you know, sell a hundred books, that would be, you know, then mom has, you know, accomplished something. Um, you know, my kids can be proud. I, I, I wanted to write a book the kids wouldn't be embarrassed about, and I don't think they're embarrassed, yeah. although they haven't read it. Um, so, you know, I guess in the future, look, I love, I love sharing the story and Mike, I so appreciate you having me on. Because I really do hope that, you know, it will help someone else. And I hope that not only, you know, hearing the struggle, but hearing kind of the levity, you know, there was a lot, you know, a lot of funny mm. moments, you know, in the moments of the accident and, and you know, even after and in the journey that, you know, those hard times, sometimes you feel there's uh, like lightness doesn't go in those dark moments, that it's disrespectful. But I, I think lightness should always be allowed in, even in the, the hardest of times and in the most, you know, horrific moments. Um, so I, I hope to just keep sharing the story. I do, you know, I, I speak at some events and, um, and, and really I want to hear from other people, you know, I want to know how other people are unbreakable and I'm hoping that, you know, more people will share and, you know, we'll just kind of, organically solve some of some of our problems in the world. You, you said something that I think is important to people who are thinking of sharing their story, but they're like, well, what impact could it make? But the fact that you went into this and you had said, if I could just help five people, quite frankly, if you could just help one person, especially, you know, when you talked about suicide or some of the challenges that kids or even adults are going through, if you could help that one person, and change their life, it was worth your time. And I love the fact that you didn't try to overdo it. The idea that your story can impact a person or five people, and that's good enough for you. My guess is you're going to help a lot more than five, which is kind of the irony of it all. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, you know, I'll tell you that um, an early reader, um, a, you know, a a friend's daughter who is 20, who had a traumatic brain injury about a year ago, you know, I had a traumatic brain injury. Uh, she read the book and sent me a text and basically said, you know, the things I read on your pages are the things that I've been going through. And it's the first time I felt normal since it happened almost a year ago. And she said, I, I now realize I may never be the same person I was and that's okay. And I, uh, that, that point that you said though, it's the first time I felt normal, which doesn't seem like that big of a thing in the grand scheme of things. But my guess is for somebody, you know, like your, your friend's daughter that went through something like that for somebody that went through your challenge, that's a big deal. It is a big, just deal. to feel normal. It is a really big deal. Wow. And, and that's actually what inspired me to even, you know, share a little bit more on LinkedIn or, you know, on Instagram that I am doing this book because, uh, you know, I, I think there probably are, you know, five people that need it. Yeah. I think there's a lot more than that. Um, which that's, I mean, I guess that's the one benefit. There's a lot of people that are struggling in life, whether it's through a traumatic injury or, or in other parts that I think are going to benefit from this. So what did you learn from your experience? This is kind of a nice segue. What did you learn from your experience that you think others would benefit from? And it doesn't necessarily need to be a traumatic injury, but beyond everything we've talked about, is there anything else that you would say, hey, here's one thing that you should know? 
think the way we tell our story and uh, you know our, our own narrative is so important to our family, our kids, the momentum we want to drive. And that's a message I want to live. You know, I want it to be a lived experience for anybody that that works with me or, or knows me, but also want to share and, um, you know, hopefully convince other people of how important their body language, tone of voice, the smile, how impactful all of those little things are. You know, when you're, when you're walking down the street and someone just smiles or holds a door, I don't think people realize what an impact that kindness has and how that kind and positive energy just moves things forward. What if you're somebody that is listening to this and they're like, either A, I have a really bad story, or I don't even know what my story is. Do you have any guidance on what they can do to start to get clear on what their story should be? Well, I guess, um, let me clarify what I mean by story. And, you know, I'll say like I'm um, early fifties and, you know, I still say, I don't know what I want to be to when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when I talk about the story, I don't necessarily mean your life plan. Okay. When I, I talk about your story, I think it's in many ways, how you, you, how you treat yourself, how you, mm. um, what you believe about yourself. Do you, you know, do you like yourself and, do you think about what you you've done, you know, over your, you know, 20 or 30 or whatever many years of life? I bet you can look at little moments of victories. Things you're like, "Wow, I'm I was so glad I did that or I'm so glad I was a part of that." And probably tough moments where maybe you say, "Wow, I wish I I didn't necessarily do that or, you know, this I would do it this way next time." And, you know, as you start to talk about yourself and think about yourself, you know, believing that there is a positive trajectory, you know, believing that you have accomplished something, that you are going to accomplish something, that belief, you know, whether what, you know, whether or not you've been th- through something crazy like I have, at any point in your life, you should tell yourself and and believe that either it's you know it's getting better or it it will get better yeah. and because if you're not telling yourself or believing that on some level it's going to manifest you, you know it's it's going to manifest into what you think it is i i i love that you reframe the story idea and even with that activating question of how do you treat yourself? Cause I could see some people answering that and they're like, I don't really like how I treat myself. And it gives them that space to ask then the follow-up question, how do I want to treat myself? And if you could start to use that as a North star yeah. and even just think about, you know, the way in which you give yourself grace or the way in which you, you know, say sorry for the things that you've done, whatever it is, is a great opportunity. And, and I actually just, I think I just posted this on LinkedIn today. <laughs> there was this uh, guy talking on another podcast and he talked about how he would talk about a friend versus how he would talk about himself. And he was so critical of himself. Yet if it was in the same context, like if somebody did something wrong or if somebody was asking about why they're you know, a great person, 
he found that it was so easy for him to do it once again in the context of his best friend versus himself and so maybe that's just a couple things that people can do is just just reframe the question of how do i want to treat myself in the future and if my best friend were to answer this how would they answer it i love love that. that In, in fact, um, someone asked me recently to do this exercise uh, where I ask five people, you know, what what attributes, you know, the top five attributes they would um, use to characterize me. Mm. And, you know, I mean, it, it felt so good to hear how other people are, are seeing me and my impact because we really, even now, and I know I need to give myself credit. I don't necessarily do it. <laughs> it's so damn hard. So what was, I, I'm, I'm asking the Uh-oh. question. So this is not you boasting. So what was one of the five characteristics? Uh, um, so uh, indomitable. Indomitable. I love that. Yeah, I loved it too. <laughs> that was my favorite one. I've never I, said um, that about myself. <laughs> indomitable. I love it. You know what? Um, Seem I could I could literally I have like another page of questions, um, but I promise you we keep this at an hour. And I also want once again everybody to read your book. It's coming out April fourth. I uh, I think we're going to be posting this podcast on April fourth. So when you listen to it, you could go on to where can they go find the book? Uh, you can find it a- Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You know, there's a Kindle, there's a hardcover, there's a paperback, and soon there will be an Audible because my son said. When I said, honey, are you going to read the book? He said, only if it's on Audible. So there will be an Audible too. Are you going to be the narrator? I am. Wow. That is probably not a whole lot of fun from what I've heard. <laughs> it's, it was harder to listen to myself in the, in the proof process than, than do uh, I was just listening to somebody um, talk about them narrating their book and they're like, oh my God, it was so difficult. Like I didn't know how many words I mispronounced. <laughs> Oh, well, luckily my, uh, the person I worked with on the, on the audible said, you know, this should be conversational. You don't have to use every word, you know, you don't have to oh. read it exactly. So all the hard words I left out, there are a few I <laughs> mispronounced, like- but I tried to leave most of those big words out. <laughs> that is so awesome. I love it. You're like, Oh, I'm skipping that word. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> I really did. Oh, so last question, I always end my podcast uh, with a question around what's the song that brings to life the journey that you've been on? Because you're singing your song now. I mean, you literally are somebody that wrote a book that talks about getting run over and you have become this fuller person that you know has a lot of empathy for everybody that has grace like we talked about. So what is that song that brings to life the journey you've been on? Oh, it's, it's lovely day. By Bill Withers. I, and why did you pick that? What what, what is it about that song? Because that song is about being happy even when things are tough. And uh, it's it just it it's got an upbeat. It's got an energy. It just it feels like a happy song, you know. Even though you know it's like a you know he's talking about a tough morning or, you know, it's it's when I think of you. Um, uh, I'm, I, I feel happy, you know, essentially. And I love that. It's, it's our family song actually. Well, you know, what's so nice about that and a great way to close is that you like the one thing that jumps out is you have chosen despite everything to be happy. And 
I congratulate you on that because I, I think many people that have gone through what you have may have taken a, a different fork in the road. So that's uh, awesome. So Nassim, yeah, thank you so much for spending more than an hour. So I promised an hour and here we are at an hour and 10 minutes, but this has been fantastic. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that was incredible. Thank you, Nassim. I am blown away by your story, blown away by your grace, your mindset, and how you used a tragic accident to give back to others who've been knocked down. If you like my conversation with Nassim, go back to past episodes to hear other amazing stories of people who were broken and now are singing their song. Big thank you to everyone who listens to Time to Sing Your Song and being part of this community that I am building. My goal is to help everyday people like you and me use the hard times as a catalyst to create a life that we were meant to live. Until next time, start singing your song today because as the anonymous quote goes, when tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you have left behind. Let it be something good.